Welcome, everybody, to episode 34. Welcome, welcome. This is Haunting Cold Podcast. I'm Katie. And I'm April. And we're sisters. Uh, Don't you know? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, thank you so much for listening. If this is your first time. Uh, Announcement. Um, Oh, yeah. We have a new Patreon member. Yes. Riley. Thank you so much for joining our Patreon. Yeah, that was so, like we've said, like it's so exciting seeing that little notification pop up of like, hey, you have a new patron. It's like, shut the front door. I know. (laughs) I always like panic a little, like my little heart just like flutters a little because I'm like, oh my gosh, what? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Hopefully people think it's worth it. (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, I'm sure he's getting his welcome package soon. Yes, he should by the time this, by this uh, release. Release. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to him and to us and to all you. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, How is your Christmas going? Your Christmas season so far? (laughs) Um, We're seven days in December, but yeah, you know, I haven't done anything Christmassy other than decorate my house. Okay, Uh, I usually like to go see like Christmas lights at Mm -hmm. in downtown Salt Lake. Um, Have you done that yet? No. Oh, and we recently in the last few years, uh, as much as we hate on Ogden. But Ogden has a cute Christmas village. Does it? Yeah. And they have a, a little train and um, like little mini houses that like different companies like sponsor and put up like scenes mm. in these little mini houses. And it's pretty cute. Yeah. And it has like they have like stands for hot chocolate and all this stuff. So it's cute. I really like it. But. It's an Ogden, so where I don't, <laughs> it's an Ogden. I, I don't get there very often, but it's a really cute thing. Huh. And then I've always wanted to go to Gardner Village for Christmas, and I've never done it. Really? Never? No. Oh. I've also I've done never that. done the Polar Express on the Heber. Oh, that thing. seems fun. That would be that, so, so fun. So fun. You know what I wanted to do again this year, which... I probably just won't. It's the <laughs> Festival of Trees. I haven't done that in a long time. Mm-hmm. Same. They had a tree for Rand. Did they? Yeah, they did a tree for Coach Rand from Bingham. Oh, I that's know. sweet. Yeah. That's sweet. I love it. But <sighs> yeah, uh, I mean, we're going to have our Christmas party with the fam. Mm-hmm. That's Santa be will fun. be there. Yeah, can't wait for that. Yeah. Yep. That's about it. Not sure I'll get much. I haven't even got lights on my house. Like, you know, that is so uncharacteristic of me. Yeah, same. We have not put any lights out. Nope. And I, and I'm like, why haven't I? But I'm like, I just feel like it got so cold so fast, you know? Are like, you I don't like not in there. the Christmas spirit or are you like just not interested know. in going outside <laughs> i just not interested in going outside like it okay. just seems too cold for survival <laughs> you know well it's way colder where you are but it's like yeah right now it's a winter wonderland all of a sudden 
like yeah. within the last couple hours uh-huh. it started snowing and it's beautiful but I hate yeah. it yeah <laughs> I couldn't make it into my <coughs> neighborhood <laughs> well that's oh, yeah. why we were late recording is because uh we were trying to drive home but like we live kind of up on a hill ish area so like no matter what route you get to our houses it's uphill mm-hmm. and it started to snow quite a bit and you know plows don't go through our neighborhood at least not in the first few hours mm. so and I don't have good tires either and so we're trying to get oh. up these different hills and we just had to keep like backing out and trying a different way it took us 30 minutes to figure out a good route to get home because we kept getting stuck in the snow oh my gosh that's so annoying <clears throat> freaking yeah. cars I think I just need to get new tires because <laughs> other cars were just fine. <laughs> so, yeah, dang, your stupid car. I know that's <laughs> the thing too. It's just like I don't have any more money for this for this car. I know oh, that sucks so bad. Yeah. Anyway, well, that's all for me. <laughs> listen, I've got quite the story. Like, yeah, you've been texting me it's about gonna how. Be- a long one Mm -hmm. uh so you're gonna have to buckle up and just get comfortable man because i'm comfy it's long and it's good so my friend whitney called me the other day and she's like did you know about this and i was like no and she's like okay you have to do it on your podcast so and she listens yes okay i i i don't know (laughs) <laughs> I mean, maybe i don't know maybe. um but yeah so she's cool. like you you got to do this story and so i instantly started looking it up and i was like oh my gosh oh, i'm and excited to hear it i got sucked in okay wow this is gonna be crazy okay everybody yeah. get cozy get comfortable if you're like me you have no idea what's about to happen you Go. might because they've <laughs> seen the title of the podcast. So. Oh, that's true. <laughs> well, if you haven't, if you like surprises, then you haven't. And this is about to blow your mind. It's going to blow your mind right out of your skull. Okay. Okay. I'm ready okay. for it. <laughs> I'm here for it. Okay. Let me take a drink of water. Okay. Okay. Ready. Wait, pause. I like that you're bun tie matches your shirt i know you know what this is this is a cooper's um handkerchief thing (laughs) is it and i have repurposed it for myself i like it cooper has a sweater did i showed you the picture of his sweater yeah you showed showed it to me yeah showed you yeah (laughs) (laughs) um yeah so i stole it because it looks it's cute cute. so yep i dig it's here for the party. Okay. It works. It's so fetch. <laughs> it's not even a thing. Stop trying to make it a thing. Okay. Oh, sorry. Okay. okay. Ready? I'm cozied and I'm ready to go. go. Okay. Yep. Friday, September 20th, 1991. A nervous Cindy Tovey arrived at Altaview Hospital with her mom and her sister, ready to give birth to her first baby. She was excited to find out what she was having, a boy or a girl. She wanted it to be a surprise. She had to have a C-section, but she did get to give birth 
to a beautiful baby girl she named Chelsea. In another room, another expectant mom, Jay Louder, had also given birth. She thought she was having a baby girl, but to her surprise, she had a baby boy that she named Brian. In In the next room, next to Jay's room, there was a nurse, a delivery nurse named Margie. Margie. She was a mother of 11. Uh, she was helping another laboring mother who was only 19 years old. Her name was Kristen. Um, Kristen was accompanied by her boyfriend, Adam, and her sister, Carrie. She was thrilled that her first baby was going to be a baby girl. Kristen had her epidural taken care of, and she was about ready to meet her new baby. The maternity ward had a few nurses on staff to care for the moms and babies, as well as a charge nurse who kind of kept everything running smoothly. Mm-hmm. Um, Carla Roth was one of the nurses, and this was her first week on the job as a nurse at Alta View Maternity Ward. Okay. By Alta View. Isn't that where we were born? I think so. <laughs> we were born at the hospital. Yeah. 1991. Heather was born that year, our sister. I wonder. <coughs> was <Sorry>. she switched? <laughs> Just I kidding. Yeah. I don't know where the story is going to go, but <laughs> you won't even see it coming. Okay. Okay. By around 11 p.m., the newborns were in the nursery so the new moms could get some rest. The 19 year old mom, Kristen. She was still in labor. She was getting close, so the charge nurse on duty called Dr. Glade Curtis to let him know he was needed for delivery. Dr. Curtis was headed to the hospital. He parked in his marked parking space, unknowing that there was someone in the parking lot watching him arrive. Oh, my gosh. He used his key to enter the hospital. He walked into the... Sorry. He walked into the maternity ward and saw the whiteboard on the wall showing which room each patient, like, you know, the, yeah. the board that says the names and what room they're in and what the who's the what's the where and the whys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The chaos that only the nurses know. What yeah. makes sense? Okay. Yep. I follow. Um, okay. So he went to check on his patient and introduced himself to Kristen. And nurse Margie said that she wasn't quite ready for delivery yet, so she would call for him when he was needed. Mm-hmm. That's when Cindy, the new mom to baby Chelsea, right? Mm-hmm. Um, she was about to fall asleep. She heard a large crash and a scream in the patient room next to her. That's when Richard Worthington, a, a 39-year-old LDS father of eight, threw a brick into the back window of a maternity ward into one of the patient's rooms. Yeah. What is he thinking, first of all? wait. It hit a baby. I know, but just wait. Okay. The woman in that room began screaming as someone was shattering the glass of her room's window. The secretary immediately ran to the emergency room area and called 911. A nurse runs to see that what the screaming is about, and she sees the mother of that room uh, get out of the room, and behind her was a man with a handgun and a shotgun yelling, where is Dr. Curtis? Where is Curtis? Oh, shit. Yeah. Where is Dr. Curtis? I'll tell you. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, Jay, 
the mom to baby Brian, right? So uh-huh. there's baby Chelsea, baby Brian, and yep. baby not yet, n- not yet baby. Yeah. <laughs> so Jay, Brian's yeah. mom, uh, thought this man yelling on the other side of her door must have been just a husband of one of the other moms losing it and just like, they're fighting or something. So she decided to ignore it. She was like, not, not my, my problem. problem. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't need to be a part of this. Cindy, the mom of baby Chelsea, Mm -hmm. shadows from under her door. You know how you can see like light peeking through. She could see people walking Mm -hmm. like um, from outside the door. Um, And she could tell that someone was out there. But she was paralyzed with fear. She couldn't reach her room's phone from where she was laying in bed because she was still mostly paralyzed from her epidural. Oh my gosh. <clears throat> so she so vulnerable. I know. So she couldn't reach far enough to get the freaking phone. Yeah. So she's like, what the hell do I do? So she tries anything. She's like, how can I call somebody? So she gets the remote for her bed and pushes the nurse button. And of course, nobody comes because they're like, the yeah, we need help too. <laughs> yeah. She, they're like, what are we supposed to do? Oh, so no. she, she's like pushing this nurse button and no one's coming. Yeah. But she could hear this man yelling for Dr. Curtis, okay? <clears throat> That's Sorry. so scary. In the room of Kristen, um, the one that's still in labor, um, Nurse Margie heard the commotion and decided to check it out. She said, quote, the intensity of the anger was palpable. It was so strong. So she picked up the phone in the room and asked for security, but the phone operator said, I know. Get off the phone. <laughs> You're like, we okay. need the lines open. <laughs> Just like, stop calling us. Got it. Because <laughs> like a bunch Understood. of people, yeah, a bunch of people are calling them saying we need security, and they're like, yeah, we know. Stop calling us. Right. <laughs> We're working on it. So oh, all of my a gosh. sudden, How a gunshot scary. goes off. Oh yeah. Okay. Okay. He shoots the gun, and the moms in their rooms were terrified. The yeah. shot was just outside of Jay's door, and she's worried because she sent baby Brian to the nursery. So oh she's like, "Oh my gosh!" Yeah, so she's like, "Um, where's my baby?" Right? So she's like panicking. She doesn't want to open the door because what if he kills her? Yeah. So she just falls to her knees and she starts praying. She says, "Not only for her safety, but for the others in the maternity ward as well." Mm-hmm. Cindy finally reached her room's phone and Mm -hmm. she called her parents and Mm -hmm. she told them (coughs) sorry she told them that she heard a gunshot and her mom was like oh sweetie you're fine it's just the (laughs) medication yeah she's like you're just high it's fine and Cindy was like no it's real there was someone shot a gun and she's like I'm so scared and her mom was like I'll send your dad (laughs) like don't worry and um Mm -hmm. she's like i'll stay on the phone with you until your dad gets there and so she sat in the room on the phone with her mom trying to make sense of what was happening in the hallway because she's like Mm -hmm. i can only hear muffled like talking and yelling um when the guy gets really loud and says like where's dr curtis she understands that but she doesn't hear much else right right um so when her father got there, the police refused to let him into the hospital because at this point, police are starting to come assess like, the situation and like 
you know, block off anyone going inside. So yeah. they wouldn't let him go in because he's like, they're like, no, <laughs> like now's not the time for you to. Yeah, there's an active, there. active shooter. Right. So he said, but my daughter's in there and they told him they couldn't allow him inside. They tell him to go home and just keep her on the phone. Mm. So um, he's like, okay. So he goes home and he's like just talking to his daughter this entire time that she's in this place. Right. So Richard, the man with the gun, angrily yelling through the halls, searching for Dr. Curtis, comes to nurse Carla Roth and demands to know where Curtis is. And he says, and and Car- Carla says, I don't know who Dr. Curtis is because it's her first time on the job. Like mm-hmm. her first week, she doesn't know everybody yet. And he's yeah. like, she's like, I don't know who that is. And he's like, you're lying to me. And she's like, no, I swear. I don't know who he is. Right. Yeah. And he's like, I just saw him come in here. I know he works here. He just came in. So like, you're lying to me. And she's like panicking. Oh so gosh. another, the charge nurse, Susan was like, it's her first week, <clears throat> but she doesn't know Dr. Curtis, but Dr. Curtis had already left because mm. she sees Dr. Curtis in the hallway coming oh. towards them because Curtis at this point, he was in the doctor's lounge and he walked out and he heard the guy yelling and saying he's going to kill Dr. Curtis. Oh. And he was like, I don't. Um, and at this time, Dr. Curtis didn't know who this guy was that was like yeah. this rampage right so he was walking towards them but his like so he was walking towards the nurse station but the like two richards back Mm -hmm. so the nurses were facing where dr curtis was walking yeah and on susan's face she's like telling him to get out of here right yeah and as she's saying dr curtis isn't here dr curtis left and so um Dr. Curtis went into one of the pa- empty patient rooms. Yeah. And he used the room phone to call 911. <clears throat> and he lets authorities know um, what's happening. Obviously, they already know what's happening, but they're like, yeah, we're going to, we're, we're sending police out there. Don't worry. We're like going to figure it out. So once he hangs up with 911, he calls his wife to let her know what's happening because he doesn't know where this is going to go. He doesn't yeah. know if this guy's going to find him. Because yeah. his whole mission is to find Dr. Curtis. and so, He's the target. Yeah, so he's like, I don't know where this is going to end, so he calls his wife. Uh, okay. So scary. This I know. Intense. I know. It just, there's so much. Okay. My gosh. Okay, I need more water. So Richard then bursts into the room where the laboring mom, Kristen, and nurse Margie are. Right. And mm-hmm. and Kristen's boyfriend and sister are in there. Okay. And he starts yelling, It's all his fault that I can't have another child. I'm going to kill him. Right. And so while waiting, or so, and he's like flailing his guns around and she tells him <coughs> Mar- and nurse Margie, she's a badass, right? Well, all these yeah. nurses are, but like she's she just takes charge. And she's like, Dr. Curtis left because I told him I didn't need him yet. So she's like, at that point on the 2020 episode, she's like, I shouldn't have said that because then he knew that Dr. Curtis could come back for delivery. Right. But I mean, right. like, you say, because you don't want to totally yeah. lie, but you don't want to tell the full truth either. Right. So, I mean, <coughs> she did right. her best. Mm-hmm. 
it was just the you know first thing that came to her so yeah um, then he leaves the room and Margie tells her patient that she's like it's gonna be okay I'm gonna take care of this she picks up the room phone and calls for security <laughs> they're like we know and then she's like I don't need security I need like the real police because what are this what's security gonna do I need so, advice like what do I do what do I do right you know? so she she ends up calling 911 and again they're like okay we're on it we're sending people how much time has gone by do you know um at this point I'm not sure (laughs) I think by this point it's only been like we're early into it so it's probably been like 20 minutes okay all this has happened so the police are probably there just they're they're coming and then assessing what's happening because like all they know right now is that it's in the maternity ward and that there's been one gunshot happened so far I see has a hat he's wearing a hat that she recognizes it's a hat Hmm. or it's a gift that the nurses give to dads when their babies are delivered and he usually says like it's a boy or it's a girl on it and this one said it's a boy on the front and so she's like this is a previous dad then because he otherwise he wouldn't have this hat yeah that's what she recognizes it sticks in her brain yeah but she's trying to figure out like what led up to this yeah what the heck is going on so (coughs) sorry so the survivors would later find out that this man his name is richard worthington and his wife had given birth to their eighth living child 10 total so she's had two that didn't make it um two years previously was when she had her last child there okay so he's targeting dr curtis because the he's the doctor that performed a tubal ligation ligation Mm -hmm. on his wife two years before so um his wife karen decided and basically demanded that um she wanted to have her tubes tied um making that her last baby because her last pregnancy was super difficult she's lost two babies so far and she, so she, she made that choice. She yeah. decided, this is my last one. Okay. <clears throat> and That's fair. Yep. <laughs> and she, so she communicated that with her doctor. Um, mm-hmm. And she also told Richard that that's what she wanted. And he was not okay with it. He wasn't happy with it. And he thought that they fought when this was happening. So they, yeah, like... It, it wasn't like, as simple as she told him. It was more like she let him know and then. And he was like, um, no, that's not what we're doing. Yeah. Like they already have, they have eight kids. Like, yeah. I'm sorry, but they don't need any more if they don't I want know. it. Right. Like they right. have a full house. Um, right. So she's, you know, taking control of her own body and was like, no, I don't want any more because this has been really hard on me. And he's mm-hmm. like no, I don't agree with this. I am the patriarch of the home and I get to decide blah, blah, blah. I know. Gag. Um, Yuck. So um, basically the doctor was like, oh, you guys got to figure this out. But when it came down to it, she signed the papers. She was ready for it to happen and it happened. Yeah. Right. So yeah. Richard believed that he had one more baby in heaven waiting to be born. And this doctor had ruined that for him. Um, He had a dream that he 
had a baby girl waiting for him in heaven. So he decided. Then wait till you get there. <laughs> or you're going to be there forever anyway. Right. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Anyway, so. Um, da, da, da. So now. Current currently in the hospital at the same. Yeah, right. The nurses are telling Richard that Dr. Curtis had left. And he's now yelling that he's going to kill everyone in the maternity ward, starting with the newborns. (gasps) Yeah. Okay. He's like, no one is leaving alive. So he ordered Carla and another nurse, Susan. She's the charge nurse. So there's nurse Carla and charge nurse Susan. They go, he he leads them in front of him. And they're going to go outside to his car where he has a box of dynamite in his car that he's gonna blow this hospital he's decided so how does he think he's gonna get out to the car without the police they haven't there well that's a that's a whole thing he comes out to his car and um as they're walking i think he actually gets something out of his car because there's another part of this where he anyway i'll tell you i so he gets the dynamite box out of his car and yeah. then um, as they're doing that, he has, um, you know what? No, I don't think he's got, anyway, ignore me. I don't think he got <laughs> all the way to the car because as they're walking towards the car, he has the shotgun in one hand and a revolver in the other hand, right? So Carla yeah. is like, didn't realize there were two guns. So she tries to grab the shotgun from him and run. And so he shoots her. <sighs> Oh, no. And she dies. <gasps> yeah. So oh, no. Susan is like, oh my gosh, Carla. This is her yeah. first week on the job. And Susan's like, oh my gosh. So she goes to like kneel down and take care of her. But Richard grabs Susan and they back into the hospital again. Oh, and leave shit. Carla out there. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I like poor Carla. Oh my <laughs> gosh. <clears throat> okay oh she tried i know so oh and no. you know that's probably why he had to you know in case somebody tried to grab one yeah well i think he was there so okay so and i might be skipping apart because this might be somewhere else but when they're outside the police are there and they have their guns out and they're pointed at him but none of them oh. take the shot Hmm. none of them took the shot and like i know that the police are probably like i wish i would have you know like in hindsight that they didn't take the opportunity and it could have happened so fast yeah i mean this could be happening in split seconds you know yeah (laughs) and they might not have had a perfectly clear shot nervous that they would have hit the other nurse or something so they like he was probably using them like as I imagine he was using them as like shields. Mm-hmm. Right. So. So. Oh boy. Okay. So while Richard and the nurses are outside, <coughs> Dr. Curtis is still in the empty patient room where he called his wife, right? And yeah. he's concerned for the baby still in the nursery. Yeah. So, he's like, it's near them right now. <laughs> right. So he doesn't want to make any noise so he takes off his shoes um so that when he's walking he can be as quietly as possible so he's barefoot 
and he walks into the nursery and in the nursery he finds one nurse and she's terrified she's just like (sighs) wide-eyed and scared stunned and he says we need to get these babies out of here right so there were about five or six babies in bassinet carts you know (coughs) which they were rolling out (laughs) yeah they were able to take only a couple at a time safely um because they can hold like or like push one at a time or two at a time Man, I feel like I just would have stacked them. <laughs> right? Like put two in one bassinet. Suddenly Richard returns with Susan um, and has a gun pointed at the back of her head. And he and she is forced to grab two of the babies in bassinet carts. He, the, he doesn't see Dr. Curtis, right? So he there were two baby bassinet, two babies in bassinet carts already outside um, before this all happened so like in transition so so they've just been out there this during this whole thing um so susan is forced to grab these two babies in their bassinets and push them into the laboring mom's room and where in this laboring delivery room they now have two newborn babies without their moms they have Mm -hmm. and one of them is brian one of them is baby brian Okay. The other one, I don't know. Anyways. Okay. Um. So they have two newborn babies. They have Nurse Margie, Nurse mm-hmm. Susan. Yeah. Boyfriend Adam. Uh, the mom. Laboring mom Kristen. Mm-hmm. Sister, Carrie. Yeah, that's it. They have seven hostages yeah. now in this labor and delivery room. Okay. Right. Right. Okay. <clears throat> so. They when they get into this room, Susan tells Margie he killed Carla. And he responded yeah. by yelling, shut up, and shot the window in the labor room. Yeah. Whoa. And they could see the police surrounding the hospital through the window at this point. So now everyone can see that police are there. Right? And now they can see in too at that point, yeah. right? Right. Because mm-hmm. well, it's yeah. on the second floor. So Oh, I believe it's the second floor. It was kind of mixed. I think it's the second floor. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So at this point, um, oh, hold on. So he shoots the window. Yep. Where did I go? Okay. He shoots the window <clears throat> and he yells at Margie and puts a gun in her face. And he says, I'm going to shoot you or Susan. Which one of you is first? Oh my gosh. And paralyzed with fear, neither of them obviously said anything, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so then Dr. Curtis, we're going back to Dr. Curtis. We're gonna leave you leave you on a cliffhanger for there for a second. Oh and my gosh. Okay. Dr. Curtis goes to walk the bridge that links the maternity ward to the rest of the hospital. So, like there's the hospital, and then you know those walking bridges that go over like parking areas. And then uh-huh. it goes to another hospital. So he goes yeah. over the, <clears throat> the like a skywalk thing. Yeah. He walks um, along there and he runs into two Sandy police officers and tells them, I know where Richard is. I can take you to him. And they're like, nope, you can't go back in. And they take him back, take, take him out of the hospital and over to where the police are. Right. Yeah. So <clears throat> sorry. With the babies. Right. Um. He didn't have babies at the time because he got separated from the nurse he was helping 
in the nursery. <coughs> I'm so sorry. Anyway, so he um, got separated from her. So I think he was she was able to get some babies out by herself. And, oh. <coughs> and Dr. Curtis got stuck in the nursery when Richard came back from shooting Carla outside. Oh. Does that I see. Sense? So then yeah. he went out, um, found an opportunity when they went into that labor and delivery room. He's like, okay, I'm going to go and get the police because I know what room they're in. Yeah. And they're like, nope, yeah. we're not letting you back in there. So. Dang. Wow. <sighs> My gosh. It's crazy. I can't believe this happened. <laughs> it's like freaking me <laughs> out. Okay. Yeah. So the police still don't know who the man is. So they're not sure. And families, mm-hmm. they don't know. Um, let's see. And Okay. So police don't know who the man is. And the SWAT team had never dealt with anything like this before. Um, Mm -hmm. at such a large scale, right, with so many hostages. So they didn't want to believe that he would hurt the babies like he was threatening, but they're like, well, he shot a nurse, so maybe he would, right? Yeah. So um, in the room, Richard had Margie at gunpoint and still, and was like, he's like kind of sporadic. So he was like, I'm going to shoot you guys. Who goes first? And now he's saying to Margie, get on the phone and call my wife and she's like okay who's your wife and he's like her name's Karen call her and so he she calls Karen (coughs) his wife and Mm -hmm. Karen answers the phone and Mm -hmm. Margie says Karen this is Margie oh this is quote okay quote Karen this is Mm -hmm. Margie and I'm at Alta View Hospital your husband Rick is holding us at gunpoint and Karen responds saying, quote, I'm so sorry. What can I do? And Margie's thinking, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what's happening. I'm just here to do what he says. And then Karen adds, quote, yeah. I knew he was going up there 45 minutes ago. I should have called the police. Yeah. Well, no fucking shit, Karen. Yeah. We don't like this, Karen. The but... one time you're supposed to call police. <laughs> yeah, when you know your husband's headed to the hospital to kill people, you'd think you'd say something, right? <clears throat> okay. Yeah. So. Because why else would he go to the hospital two years after you guys were last there? Right. Well, that's coming. You know, I'll, like I'll... if he didn't have like. <sighs> I know. Okay. I will explain, but for now, we'll okay. move on. <laughs> so he told Margie okay. to tell Karen <laughs> to come to the hospital. So Margie tells her, and Karen's like, okay, I'm going to come, and I'm going to bring our bishop with me. And that freaks Richard out. He's bishop. like, yep, he brings their Not bishop. Not the bishop. No. Because, um, I mean, it's just a cure-all, I guess. And so Richard's like, no, don't do that. And he fires another random shot. Doesn't kill anybody. It's just a random shot. But in the other room, Jay could hear the voices talking. She's right next to the labor and delivery room, but she's like her lights are off. So they, he doesn't know she's there. Right. And so yeah. he, she can hear through the walls what's happening in the other room and her baby's in that room. So yeah. her baby Brian is in that room and she yeah. can hear him crying. And then when he fires that random shot, baby Brian stops crying. Oh, no. 
And Although, so, how did she know that it was her baby? Uh, she, yeah. she, she <clears throat> said that she could tell. Okay. I don't. I mean, yeah. Like my kids' cries were pretty distinctive to me. Like I could tell it was my kid over another kid. I don't know. I don't know. I feel like as a newborn baby, I feel like they all sound the same. <laughs> some of them, yeah. I mean, I guess they kind of do, but I don't know. For some reason, she she knew her okay. baby was in intuition. There, okay? So her her baby stops crying as this gunshot goes off, yeah. and so she's like, "My baby was just killed." Yeah, my baby yeah. was just shot, and so she, why else would they stop crying after right. a gunshot? Yeah, so she falls oh apart. Gosh. And she's just like, what is going on? My baby is dead. All this stuff. Okay. So she's in this room alone and feels like her baby's dead. Alone and in the dark. Yeah. So all she could hear was Richard yelling. And he was like, I'm going to go room to room and start shooting moms and babies. And she just kept thinking, you already killed my son. Like, yeah. Right. So luckily he did not shoot baby Brian. I don't know why he stopped crying. Maybe it was soothing to him. I don't know. But (laughs) he ended up just shooting the phone on the delivery bed. So like he didn't hurt anybody, but he shot the phone that Margie was just using. So he's just like shooting rounds all over the place. Yeah. He's just like gun slinging. (laughs) Yeah. He's But as this is happening, the other patients in other parts of the hospital were being evacuated and moved to Cottonwood Hospital um, as the Alta View Hospital was surrounded by police, right? So Dr. Curtis, yeah, he when he got outside, so he was pulled outside and they wouldn't let him go back in. And he asked who had been right. healed. And authorities told yeah. him it was Carla Roth, who he didn't know very well because she was her first week, right? So they allowed him to go and see her because he was like, I, I felt like he was, it seemed like he just wanted to make peace and just like say, I'm sorry that this happened to you type of thing. So her mm-hmm. body was at the emergency room. yeah, And so she he was able to go and see her body. And he said that he spent a few moments in there silently and just like felt overwhelmed and distraught with her condition and what happened. And what, yeah, I mean, as the doctor, I bet he felt responsible even, and, and he was there to kill Mm -hmm. him, you know? So like, yeah, yeah. like he was the intended target and she (laughs) was the, uh, collateral damage. Right. Yeah. Um, so at this time, Richard was getting more intense. So he tells Kristen's boyfriend, Adam, to go and get the black box right outside the building doors. Um, so this is why I think he might have made it to his car, because the black box right outside the doors um, had dynamite in it. So he told him to go and get it. Hmm. And so Adam goes okay. to the doors and he reaches out. And he sees the black box and he grabs it. And the police are like, hey, you can't go back in there. Don't go back in. And he's like, I have to. My wife's in there. And so he goes back oh, in. And yeah. it was technically they were boyfriend, girlfriend, but he said wife. So he returns to the hospital room with a black box. Richard opens it up and everyone in the room can see what's inside. And it's dynamite. They're like, I can tell what this is. And he told Margie, yeah. 
to yell out the broken window to the police that he has dynamite and he's going to blow up the hospital. And so Margie said after she yelled that outside, he has a bomb. He's going to blow up the hospital. He, <laughs> she said that she could hear the police repeating it down the line just to everybody. And she was like, it's kind of yeah. eerie, you know? Yeah. So, oh um, so at this point it's reached a whole different level of seriousness. He has mm-hmm. enough dynamite to blow up the entire hospital. Wow. Yeah. So he shows everyone in the room in the bomb box he has is a baggie of nails. And he's like, this is in here. So when it explodes, it does more damage. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. And so these, these hostages are like, they're, I mean, I can only imagine the thoughts running through their head that like, this is the worst like, case scenario. Yeah. I'm just getting told how I'm going to die basically. Yeah. So the SWAT team entered the hospital and they started going room to room, searching for any more people that need to be evacuated as well as narrow down where the hostages are. Right. Mm-hmm. So they're like, while things are happening, other things are happening. So they're, yeah, yeah. Right. they're searching for other like people and trying to clear the area. Right. Right. Um, so Richard, Richard decides they're all moving somewhere else. Cause he's like, Nope, they're not going to find us. So Margie asked if she could bring her delivery instruments because, you know, Kristen is mm-hmm. about to give birth and he's like, nope, can't do that. And so this mom, she's still in labor. She could have baby at any time. And mm-hmm. so Margie's like, well, thinking that she hopes that whatever's attached to the bed she can use. Right. So yeah. like, there's like the little leg stirrup thingies and right. Yeah. And so usually there's like, a little pull out drawer that has like a bin with like stuff, stuff in it. Yeah. So she's like, hopefully there's enough that I can use and figure it out. Yeah. So <laughs> they get out to the elevators <laughs> and they push the button. And when they push the button, this, the smaller size elevator comes first and it takes a while for the bigger size elevator to come. So they're trying to fit in the small elevator. So um, Susan and Adam and the two baby bassinets start going in the smaller one, but obviously they can't fit the labor bed into the little elevator. So yeah, um, they start right. pulling out the bed and the door starts closing and Adam, Susan, and the two babies are in there and they're like, you know, in their head, they're like, we're going to be able to get away from this guy, but he puts his foot in the elevator door. I know at the last no. second and tells them to get out and get into the bigger ones. So um, they put the labor bed as the bigger elevator comes, they put mm-hmm. the delivery bed in there first and then um, everyone piles in, but the baby bassinets don't fit. So he tells them just get the babies out of there. So they have to, they start carrying the babies and they all make it into the elevator. Okay. So they're in the okay. elevator. They go up to the third floor. I've totally ran past all my notes. So they get to the third floor <laughs> and that's where the doctor's offices are. So like their practice offices, not like the delivery rooms. Yeah. It's like where they have exam rooms and then like their office office. Um, so he shoots mm-hmm. a hole into one of the, you know how they have like the glass window on the sides of the door Mm -hmm. well he shoots one of them randomly and just tells adam the boyfriend to stick his arm 
through their broken window and open the door. So he does because they're all locked, right? Because it's midnight. Um, yeah. <clears throat> and he realized, or they realized that as they're trying to get into this office room, the delivery bed doesn't fit through the normal door, right? Because it's just yeah. a regular door size. And so they, um, he has them lift Kristen out of the bed with a sheet and they have to drag her by the sheet into the waiting room of the doctor's office. Are you kidding me? She's in labor. She's like about to give birth. And with like, an epidural still in, right? Yeah. Yeah. She has an epidural at least. That doesn't seem safe. Um, well, this whole experience seems very dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. So they get her into the waiting room, right? And mm -hmm. uh, Richard yells, where's Dr. <clears throat> Curtis's office? And Margie tells him where it is. It's like, he's, she's like, it's over there. So he orders Margie, Adam, and Carrie to go to that office with him. And when they get there, he tells them to destroy all of his files and computers and everything in his office. So they destroy his like diplomas and his certificates and his patient files. And he starts shooting the computers and shooting the keyboard. And he's just like destroying everything. So SWAT was still trying to find Richard at this point, and they were able to keep track of his movements because he's moving around, right? Mm -hmm. So once they're on the second floor, um, they get to Cindy's door. And Cindy on the other side of the door, she's freaking out because she thought it was Richard. And she's like, I'm going to die. <laughs> like, you know, yeah. like she's freaking out. So when they open the door, she at first panics, but then she sees the SWAT thing on their jacket and she's like relieved obviously but then she kept saying where's my baby you know screaming mm -hmm. where's my baby but they needed to her to be quiet because they would or she'd give away their position like where she's at yeah. or where they're yeah. at and so the SWAT officer told her we need to evacuate you we need to get you out of here and she's like I'm still paralyzed basically from my <laughs> epidural I can't walk so because yeah. it was a two pairs of the SWAT officers, right? Because yeah. they're in teams of two and they're clear and stuff. And yeah. so the other SWAT guy lifts her up and carries her. Don't they have wheelchairs though? That's kind of weird. Well, I mean, I'm sure they weren't going to go searching for a wheelchair. Oh. I don't know. Maybe it wasn't readily available. I'm not sure. Okay. <laughs> um, <clears throat> well, and I don't think they were going to use elevators. I think they were going to use the stairs because they knew oh. that he wasn't using the stairs. Okay. So they carry her and they go towards the stairs. And as they pass the nursery, she grabs the door frame and she's like, wait, stop. I want to get my baby first. And they're like, we got to go. We got to go. And she's like, no, I'm getting my baby. I'm not letting us leave without my baby. And they had to lie to her and say, we already got all the babies out. Don't worry. Because they needed to keep the, keep it moving. And um, the SWAT officer in the 2020 episode, he was like, I, I wasn't sure if her baby was one of the babies that was held hostage. I didn't know if one of her babies was one of the ones that got out. So mm -hmm. I was like, yeah, we just need to get her out of here and then yeah. we'll figure it out. So, oh. so they carried her out of the hospital. Okay. Um, so at this point, Kristen, she was ready to deliver she's mm -hmm. on the floor of a waiting room and and she's on a sheet like yeah you know 
And because Richard kept yelling about how Dr. Curtis robbed him of a baby girl, Kristen was terrified that he was going to take her baby girl. Oh, that's who I mean, she was going to give birth to a baby girl. So she's like, he's going to take her from me. Mm-hmm. And so Margie kept telling her that she'd be okay. They'd figure it out. She'd protect her any way that she could. And this baby was coming anyway. So they have to do it. They have to yeah. deliver. Yeah. So um, Margie says in the 2020 episode, she's like, I went into the bathroom at one point and I found a pencil that they used to label the urine samples. And she wrote on the bottom of a Kleenex box. She wrote Dale, I love you to her husband. Oh, how sad is that? Um, so because none of them know what's gonna happen. This guy is losing his mind. Yeah. Um, so Richard followed them to allow them, sorry, Richard allowed them to move Kristen on the sheet um into one of the exam rooms of the office, and they were allowed to close the door. Um, they moved into that room and Richard said that he wired the door shut with the bomb wires. So if they open it, it'll explode. Gosh. Yeah. So they're like, okay, everyone's in this little room and she's going to give birth. Right. Yeah. Um, Margie didn't have the tools she usually would use during delivery, but with the help of Susan, the other nurse, they successfully delivered her baby girl. Um, Wow. But that made the hostage count go from seven to eight. Yeah. They had now have another baby in the hostage situation. Right. Right. <clears throat> okay. So now SWAT is approaching Jay's room. So Brian's mom. Yeah. And she thinks that it's the gunman as well. Mm-hmm. So she hides in the bathroom up against the wall and the SWAT officers, they're, they're like, they slowly come in. And then, mm-hmm. like, she sees the gun pass her, and she's, like, her heart drops. And then she sees the SWAT label. Yeah. And then oh she's, gosh. like, okay. So she begs them to let her go into the next room to get her baby because she believes that her baby's in the next room dead. Remember? Oh, right, right. So she's, like, I just want to get him. I just want to get his body and take him with me. And yeah. they're, like, sorry, we got to go. Like, We'll figure it out. We'll find your baby and we'll, you know, whatever. So they push her out the door. As she comes out of the hospital, she sees all these other moms who are reunited with her babies. And Mm -hmm. she told the nurses by the ambulance that she isn't leaving without her baby and that they told her baby Brian wasn't in the babies removed from the hospital. So she knows her baby's still in the hospital. She doesn't know that he's alive and that he's one of the hostages. Right. So all she kept saying was that she wanted her baby and that he shot her baby and Mm -hmm. he just wanted to get his body out. And so when she got to the Cottonwood Hospital where they're sending all of these babies and moms and other patients, um, she just started watching the news. Yeah. You know, she wants to know what's going on. So stay as up to date as you could. Right. As they talked about the hostages, she felt certain that her baby was dead and yeah. in the same room that she left or that he was left in. Um, and she said in the 2020 episode, she said, quote, if God needs him more than I do, then I would accept that. Oh, oh. oh. my heart. It makes me so sad. <laughs> but um, a nurse told Cindy, um, Chelsea's mom, 
that she was able to get her baby out and that she's at the Cottonwood Hospital waiting for her. So she felt relieved, but she could hear Jay crying about her baby being dead. And she's mm-hmm. like, I, it's almost like survival's survivor guilt in a way where it's like, my mm-hmm. baby's okay and your baby's not. And so yeah. like she, you know, it's just a hard situation to be in. Hard to be totally happy and relieved <clears throat> when, you know, something terrible might have happened or will happen. Right. So the police negoci- negotiators attempted to reach out to Richard multiple times. Each time that they would talk to him, um, he would either, well, so each time they called, he would either not answer or when he did answer, the conversation only lasted a couple minutes before he like had a meltdown and hung up. So Richard kept ordering Margie to call a bunch of random people. Like he had her call radio stations and tell them that they had the story wrong and that Dr. Curtis is at fault for what's happening. And like, oh my gosh, <laughs> he's being freaking weird. And yeah. after a while, Richard starts to get calmer and gives everyone paper and pens. And he says, write to your families. And oh they're like, how... How are my how is my family gonna get my letter? Yeah. So he's like, I promise I will get them to your families. And so they're all just sitting there writing and sobbing to their families, like saying <laughs> goodbye, right? This is horrible. I know. So the nurses are getting worried now that the babies are gonna start to get fussy because they hadn't been fed for a while. Like it'd been mm-hmm. hours at this point. So he had been, or all the babies had been quiet up to then because Richard had sprayed the entire office with ether and it basically sedated them. So ether is, hold on, let me, ether. Like a gas? It is a gas, but it's. Happy gas? um, It's used as anesthetic and as a solvent for intermediate and industrial processes so how would he know that but it's highly flammable so he his thoughts are his thoughts are that if he sprays this all over the the room that he's Mm -hmm. going to or that the blast is going to be bigger when the bomb goes off i see but but all this ether in the air it's sedating the babies okay so they've been quiet this entire time um so the SWAT team they could smell the ether as they reached the third floor and they weren't sure if they should approach because yeah and so they waited in the stairway for their orders okay Mm -hmm. so the negotiator the main negotiator his name was Don Bell he called Richard and they let him know that and he's like, hey, just so you know, that nurse that you shot, she she died. And um, Richard was like going back and forth. He's like, I want to talk to Dr. Curtis. This is his fault. And then saying, oh, I want to talk to my wife, get my wife on the phone. But eventually his demand was to talk to his wife. So Don said, I'll work on finding her. So Don hadn't realized at this point that he had already seen Karen outside with the police and he'd walked past her many times. So Mm. she told him, uh, or so, okay. So he went to go speak to her and is like, okay, give me an idea of what 
could have caused this? Like, yeah, how's your marriage? What's going on? And she's like, our marriage hasn't been good. And I'm thinking about leaving him. So Dawn was worried that if Karen spoke to Richard, that if she said the wrong thing, he'd blow up the hospital. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, like it, because they were in a good place and they were fighting all the time, that this, that wouldn't be a healthy and positive mm-hmm. way to get him to surrender. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, Margie, um, <laughs> she's basically Richard's secretary at this point. <laughs> um, but she was talking to the negotiator and told Don that they needed supplies for the new mom that just gave birth and a baby. And, um, she's like, and Richard's hungry. So, um, the only way Richard would allow anything to come to the hospital or to come to them, they Mm -hmm. wouldn't let anyone come to the door because he's like, Nope, you guys are going to catch me. So he's like, the only way you can get supplies to us is if you get a helicopter over our, our, place and then you drop the supplies down to the third level into our window that he shot out (laughs) because he keeps shooting out windows so he's like that's the only way you can get stuff to me and they're like uh yeah we can't do that (laughs) like yeah not gonna work and he's like well i hope you have a good quarterback with a good throwing arm then richard's just kind of an ass i'm not gonna lie yeah i um not only is he freaking losing his mind but he is not he's a like you said, a freaking asshole while yeah. he's doing it. Like, I mean, it's not like he's going to be pleasant and, like, friendly, but... I know, right? Like, but what like, the hell? Comments, it's, like, it's like out yeah. of place, you know? Yeah. It's like he tried to make a joke or something, and he's just right. like, I don't know. I think it's weird. So, at this point, it's around 4 p.m., okay? So, they're gone, like, over, what, 12 hours? I don't know. It's been a long know. time. Yeah. Oh, no. 16. Next is the night before, right? Yeah. So 16 hours they've been at yeah. this. So Jeez. Richard called his house and one of his sons answered. And he and Margie said that she could hear this conversation. And she's like, it's the saddest thing I've ever heard because he kept apologizing, telling him that he loves them and asked if they loved him and all this stuff. Whoa. And then he asked Margie if she's ready to walk out of there. Finally. And she's like, oh, my gosh, he's going to let us go. So she then goes and sits with him and says, "Okay, let's come up with a plan. She's like trying to be really calm. And she's like, let's come up with a new plan. And um, Richard says, my family is never going to forgive me. And she's Mm -hmm. like, no, they will. I promise they will. Like, yeah, you're going to be okay." And so he came with up with a plan and he tells Margie, this is what you're going to do. We cut off my pinky finger. And I, you give it to my wife because <laughs> in Japanese culture, that's a symbol of asking for forgiveness. That was the last thing I thought you were going to say. <laughs> I, know. I know. I was like, and Margie, I can only imagine her face like, why? So she tells him, I don't think I can do that. And he says, oh, hell, let's just get out of here. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So Margie <laughs> calls Don the negotiator. But the freaking phone keeps ringing and ringing and Don's not answering. He's the one who's supposed to officiate what's going on yeah. and how they can get out of there. And on Don's end, the line went dead. So he had no idea that Margie was calling him. So 
he's searching for a place that he can talk to Richard. And the only way he can do it is with one of those like blowhorn microphone thingies. Yeah, the megaphones. And so he needs to find a good place that if he does blow up the off the the third floor that um because the explosive experts were like oh i don't think it'll blow up the whole hospital i don't think maybe but it would mostly be just the top floor and like out that side and so he was like trying to find a good safe place to like talk to him in case he did lose it and blow up that don and their team would be safe yeah so that makes sense um, as they're in the stairway, he sees one of the explosive experts has a brick cell phone. One of, like, the first kinds of cell phones. Yeah, because like, this is 91, right? Yeah. So he's like, can I use that? And he's like, okay. So um, he calls the office. That The only number he can remember is the office that they're in, which is Luffy. And yeah. he called the office. And Margie was like, I've been trying to reach you. He's ready to surrender. And he wants to speak to his wife. And Don agreed and said he can only talk to his wife from a distance for one minute and let everyone go and then turn himself in. And Richard was like, okay, I'll do it. Wow. Okay. So the plan was that Richard was like allowed the one minute and then the SWAT team was going to come in and like take him into custody so margie's still on the phone with don so as he's asking her about the location of everything trying to get details of where everything's at and um he's like where's the bomb and she's like it's back farther in the office where's the shotgun back farther in the office where's the handgun and he's like send richard's hands so he's like Mm -hmm. just trying to figure out where everything's at so they agreed to let richard hand his gun to his bishop through the door. Wayne Mills is his bishop. So Richard and Adam head to the doorway and they open it and SWAT team grabs Adam and pulls him to safety. And Richard closes the door really fast and starts ranting about them lying to him and that they broke the deal and that he's going to blow up the hospital. Okay, so he's back. Hold on a second. I'm so sorry. Was there a reenactment of this in a TV show? Yes, they made a TV movie about this. I feel like I've seen this because like it's like playing in my head and I'm like, this is so familiar. It's probably been on Lifetime. The Lifetime okay. channel, I bet. So I'm trying to place it. I'm like, it wasn't House. It wasn't Grey's Anatomy. I mean, it, it wasn't. It could have been on Grey's Anatomy because my goodness. I mean, yeah, they, yeah, they do everything. Let me, um, I don't know if I wrote down the made for TV movie made for made for TV movie is called deliver them from evil. The taking of out to view. We um, should watch it. Yeah, it's let's see. How can you watch it? Like, what is it available on? Do you know since you're uh, looking it up? How can how can we watch it? Hold on. Let's see. I'm sorry. This story is so flipping long it's nuts i don't be sorry at all you really brought it (laughs) this episode (laughs) oh yeah okay (laughs) putting my story to shame i think you can watch on roku roku do you have a roku i do you might be able to search it it got two out of four stars oh well that's halfway there definitely looks like a 90s lifetime movie okay (laughs) so but they should do a remake agreed 
Agreed. Okay. So Amazing. if you haven't, if you want to watch the reenactment, um, maybe has some dramatization that's not real, you can watch Deliver Them from Evil, The Taking of Altaview. You know, I don't think I've seen that, but I just wonder if there's a show I've watched, like a medical drama. Probably that, Grey's Anatomy. That has like taken this storyline, you know, because yeah. there's certain parts of it that I'm like, this sounds so familiar, but not. Yeah. But maybe I'm thinking of John Q. I don't know. I don't know. Anyways, so anyway. back back to where we're at. So yeah, they don't let him talk to the bishop. And they grab Adam, one of the hostages, and pull him out, and he freaks out, right? So he's like, you lied to me, blah, blah, blah. And Margie is on the phone with Don, the hostage nego- negotiator person, and he, she's like, you guys blew it. He thinks you're lying to them. You guys blew it. Why did you move in on us, you know? And yeah. Don's like, I had no idea this was happening. Like, I'm so sorry. I don't know what's happening. It's because they weren't supposed to do that, right? Yikes, yeah. It wasn't part of the plan. It was so- miscommunication somewhere. Yeah, so Richard starts barricading them back into the office. So he's like making it so they can't get to him. So yeah, Richard starts losing it. And Susan, who's almost been like since she watched Carla die, she's almost been like frozen and like shut down and comatose, right? So yeah, um, she finally gained some umph and started pleading and demanding that Richard he she's like, Richard, we can do this. I'll walk out with you. We'll all walk out with you. We'll walk together arm in arm and we'll all go together. And yeah. so after a little bit, like he starts to calm down and he's like, okay, I'm ready. Let's go. And so, and then Richard, like his whole demeanor is just so defeated and like exhausted. Like mm-hmm. it's almost like he's just, he's just not in it. <laughs> it's not, heart's yeah. not in his cause anymore. So Margie, she's like, okay, like I think he's, his walls are down a little so I can talk to him. So she goes over to him and she like calmly was able to just remove the gun from his hands. Like he just let it go. So once she got it, then the SWAT team moved in immediately and subdued him and took him into custody. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Wow. That's crazy. So, okay. I still have chills six pages <laughs> so i'm <laughs> yeah, so no, sorry you're good you I'll have me hooked so don't worry you're it's not <clears throat> like you're rambling on okay so the swat was able to move in on him right and then the survivors walked out of the hospital and at this time it was 6 p.m so the entire siege had taken 18 hours my god Ugh, scary and horrible um explosive experts get into the hospital and look at the bomb richard had set up and he had it set in a way that all it would have taken for him to make the bomb go off was just a light switch and so literally with how hot and cold and what if it was like automatic lights like i know this is the (laughs) 90s so it's fine like it was different yeah like imagine like now like you just walk into a room yeah Yeah. Yeah. yeah so with how hot oh. and cold he was though like if like he could have blown up the hospital in just like a motion like that like flipping a oh. switch oh my gosh crazy so that's nuts jay the mom who thought her baby had been murdered was right. still at cottonwood hospital uh-huh. she heard a knock at her door and a nurse walks in with baby brian <laughs> he's alive and well and Aww. She's like ecstatic because her entire world fell apart, and then all of a sudden, she's like, 
reunited with this baby and like literally probably will never let him go right yeah yeah <laughs> never like she would oh my gosh I just imagine the helicopter parent she <laughs> like, probably was you can't go anywhere like from the day you were born <laughs> yeah like I will never you've had me worried sick <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh gosh like why'd you stop crying like you freaking weird baby okay <laughs> right. so as the news oh. reached his community of who was holding hostages at the hospital and killed a nurse, Richard's neighbors were shocked. And one of his neighbors told the Washington Post, quote, he's a wonderful father and neighbor. This is the last thing I'd expect him to do. So, like, you know, of course they said that. So we know from the ranting and raving through the entire <clears throat> maternity ward that he was upset with Dr. Curtis and that he was going to kill him. Yeah. Um, and because he tied the tubes of his wife that he was not okay with, but that was two years ago. So, like, why did this come up all of a sudden? Yeah. Right? Well, it turns out he had actually threatened Dr. Curtis a couple times before this happened. But his threats were just that. They were just threats. Like, Until, but death threats or like, yeah, I'm going to beat you up. Death threats. <laughs> you know. But, like, oh. hadn't, I don't know. Like, I wonder how I guess, often doctors get that. I don't know. I wonder, especially like, with doctors who like literally handle people's <laughs> lives. I'm sure the people who have like um, the what are they called? Malpractice Still. suits or oh, whatever yeah, yeah. probably get yeah. so many freaking calls. Yeah. Uh, okay. So they were just threats until his wife Karen told him that she wanted a divorce. And so that's what set him off. Okay. Mm. So. Richard saw the control he had over his family slipping, so he took it out on the person he blamed, which was Dr. Curtis. Though his wife wanted this procedure done, he felt as the husband, the man of the house, that what he said goes. Dr. Curtis should not have done anything if he didn't approve. So he was apparently... Patriarchy. Yeah. (laughs) Ugh. Yuck. So he was apparently calling other doctors like okay so right after it happened right right after his wife's procedure Mm -hmm. he was apparently calling other doctors in the area offering to trade landscaping work to reverse the operation so he owned his own business as a landscaper and which is how he knew how to handle dynamite because he would use it to like did karen know about this yeah because karen we'll talk about karen later Okay. Like Karen called other doctors. So Karen eventually called a doctor herself and said, yeah, I need to save my marriage. I want it reversed. And she actually had an appointment set up and everything Mm. before this event took place. So Don Bell, who performed the negotiations, he said, quote, he was a major control freak. He will certainly be in control when it comes to a male female thing. He's very commanding. And you could tell that he liked it. He also mentioned that he noticed how quickly Richard's moods flipped. He wanted, he went from like A to Z in a second. Yeah. Well, like, you know, in hindsight now, like now that you've said that looking back, it's like in every situation he was like controlling the room, you know, like you do this, you do this, you you go here, you go get this, you call my wife, you call, you talk to this guy, you say this, you yell at the window. Yeah. He was like, yeah. Yeah. So Mm. kind of freaky. Okay. Gross. So um, 
Their neighbor across the street from them had told Salt Lake Tribune that Richard had told her that he felt his authority as the family patriarch had been overridden by his wife's decision to get her tubes tied. The neighbor said that he had gone overboard and berserk since it happened and their marriage had been a roller coaster ever since. Um, Richard and Karen had been high school sweethearts. They never dated anybody else. Richard served an LDS mission in Southeast Australia. He owned his own landscaping business where he'd like take his kids to work with him, let them ride on the tractor. So he like, they had this like image, right? Mm-hmm. They're the perfect family. He was, I don't know, he, he seemed like a good dad. Like he cared about his kids a lot. He loved his kids. Mm-hmm. Um, but like his power being threatened set him off. And in yeah. the more recent years, his oldest boys were like starting high school. And so they started getting more defiant and pushing mm-hmm. boundaries. So they started yeah. getting into football as their activity. And they pulled and Richard pulled them out of football because he got violent with the coaches because they took his boys off the front line. So like he's hot headed as shit. Like he's yeah. He just did they ever say if he was abusive or anything? No, like there was mm. not, n- no one ever said anything about abuse in any of the articles I read. Mm. He just seemed to have a temper, like he, mm. and it was more yelling than yeah. anything, like just well in control and, and quick to react. Like he would be quick to yeah. get mad. And, you know, that makes it for a tentious house, not necessarily abusive, but it could be, I guess, kind of emotionally where it's like yeah. anything can set your dad off, you know? Yeah. Um, while Richard was waiting for his sentencing, because um, he got arrested and booked into Salt Lake County Jail, he was waiting for his sentencing. Um, he actually attempted suicide a couple times. One of the times he stood on the desk of his jail cell, stiffened his body and fell backwards off the desk. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> he, uh, he came out of that with just a gash. Um, but on top of that, he was also telling other inmates in the jail that he was better than them and that he wasn't a criminal like them. And so he got beat up a bunch because he had a bad attitude. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so Richard eventually blamed his wife, um, eventually his ex-wife, Karen, who, like that she was responsible for his actions um, in a statement Richard made May 1992, he said, quote, on September 20th, 1991, Karen Worthington suggested to me that I kill myself and Dr. Curtis to get this over with. Or if you want, just blow up the whole damn hospital. Yeah, right. Right. Which David Roth, which is the husband of Carla Roth. Carla Roth yeah. is the nurse that was killed. Right. right. So. David began to believe that as well. At first he was like, I don't blame her. Like, I hope she doesn't think that. But then eventually when he starts hearing some things, he's like, hold on a second. So he files a civil case against Karen saying that the wrongful death of his wife, that it was partially on Karen's fault because Mm -hmm. I'll tell you why, um, in his case, sorry, his, um, the documents that, Yeah. Uh, It said, quote, Karen Worthington played a key role in furthering and exasperating 
Yeah, it's exasperating her husband's warped anger toward Dr. Curtis and out to view hospital. She quite knowingly pushed him over the edge and literally handed him the means and the idea for <clears throat> his night of terror and murder at the hospital. Karen, in response, told Deseret News, quote, that's not true. I was a very loving, kind and sweet wife. And then she said what Richard was saying is an absolute lie. And mm-hmm. she said she never encouraged him to kill himself or anybody else. And she said, quote, Rick is just mad that I'm getting married. <laughs> yeah. Karen's oh. getting married just eight months after the siege took place. Well, I, I mean, feel like listen, that's quick. Don't you think? It's quick, but I've I've heard of people moving on a lot faster than that. With eight kids? I don't know. I mean, I who know. was it with? Like, was it like with someone she was already seeing on the side? I don't know. D- nothing said that. Mm-hmm. It's possible. Interesting. Karen, if she you're was, listening, she was give us the tea. <laughs> she was asking for a divorce. So she either could have met yeah. this guy and not had any relationship, but it was like, you know what? There and then this guys happens out there. and then falling on his shoulder. and Yeah. So like it could have been like yeah. he helped her through trauma, you know. Okay. Then again, getting married. That's and that is pretty I mean, quick. They were getting married in the temple that fast. I feel like that's hmm. It's interesting. I don't know. When you're a woman already married in the temple with somebody, there's a lot of process that a long process that takes you to be able to be separated from that man ceiling wise. Mm-hmm. And then you have to like make a case of why you should be able to be temple divorced and yeah. then and then to set a date for their their new ceiling so it's like how quickly did this happen but i mean yeah. the process could have been quick because he's now in prison so it's like yeah. okay like, well like easy it, to they didn't have to why. Like, go through the paperwork and be like oh yeah you know yeah just like, exactly oh, that richard guy yeah he's nuts. yeah okay so it could go both ways where it's like a little suspicious, but whatever. I mean, okay. whatever. I mean, so, it's still though, still he she had it. yeah, he did it. So like yeah. even if even if she did have a side piece that she ended up marrying eight months later, it still doesn't excuse what he did. But there you know. are a little more suspicious things in here. Okay. okay so okay. according to David Roth's brief in his civil case it mentioned that karen knew her husband was becoming increasingly violent in the weeks before the event at altaview Mm. (coughs) sorry he tried to commit suicide twice like before the situation and threatened to kill himself and karen two other times as well so also did she admit to that um, yeah, so it was in her statement. So they're using oh. this kind of like to say he she knew he was in a bad place. Oh, okay. and she and then she said, go and kill everybody then, you know, like so okay, kind of saying you pushed him over the edge type of thing. Got it. On top of that, apparently Karen took out a seven hundred thousand dollar life insurance policy on Richard and opened a secret bank account as well, leading up to the event. Karen made secret transfers to her secret account from Richard's business account, adding up to a few thousand dollars. It's a little mm, sus. A little not bit. a good look, Karen. The life insurance <laughs> policies just look bad. 
Yeah. <laughs> it just does. I I only asked Mitch to sign up for it if it's like employment time, you know? Yeah. Like when they're asking, it's like, well, since yeah. you asked. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's like, might as well. <laughs> right. So might as well go for the biggest one. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> so on the night of the hostage hostage situation. Karen went to the neighbor's home to get Richard's guns. While she was there, she made a telephone transfer for $700 from Richard's business account to her secret account that night. Suspicious. Yeah. A little bit. A lot of bit. A lot of bit. Um, and after the her, she got her tubes tied... She told Richard that the procedure was a mistake and it never should have happened, even though she wanted it and fought for it. Right. So she. Mm -hmm. So in the brief, it says, quote, by so doing, she deceived and misled him, deflecting his anger away from her and focused his hatred at Dr. Curtis. Mm -hmm. So she kind of like put it in his head that, oh, I didn't want this. This is a mistake. Like this thing I was talked into. Yeah. So because she didn't want to be, she didn't want to be the focus of his anger anymore. So I'm like, ugh, not. I mean, I get it in a way where it's like, well, it's not my fault. I didn't die. I didn't go. I mean, because she, I'm sure she didn't expect him to escalate it to where he did, you know. I don't know. But maybe I don't know. Based on Karen's admission and her own depositions, She Mm -hmm. did give Richard his guns and taunted him to kill Dr. Curtis and blow up the hospital (gasps) and knew he would go through with it. She admitted to all that? And her depositions, according to the articles I've read. And despite her knowing of Richard's plans, Karen purposely delayed, sorry, purposely delayed taking any action or making any telephone calls for 25 minutes after her husband left that night oh yeah i remember that yeah so yep that specific civil case went to the u.s district court in utah and then to the 10th circuit court of appeals in denver took about three years to settle that and all state insurance company was um Karen and Richard's insurance company, they ended up paying David Roth $97,000 for the wrongful death of Carla. Insurance. Yeah. So apparently, so the Allstate insurance was like their homeowner's insurance. Okay. Okay. But they, because he made the bombs at the house. Yeah. They were able to, I think it's because the bombs were made at the house and that Karen didn't call 911 when he left to go to the hospital and she knew where he was going. And so, so they're yeah. able to take out a claim to help pay for his crimes? No. Oh, well, um, that's it, bullshit. Well, <laughs> so the insurance company paid David Roth, the husband of Carla Roth, who died. Yeah. It seems weird, but it happened. Huh. I can't believe I just I I mean I totally believe that happened but I can't believe that happened I know you know I mean what the hell if you fight hard enough 
That's a, I guess if you get a lawyer, they can find all kinds of loopholes. Like, actually. Well, the phone was at the house and she didn't use it to call the police. I don't know. Oh, it just cut out. Can you hear me? Oh, there we go. Now I hear me now. now. Yes. What the heck is happening? Okay. I don't know. So, in March 1992, Richard entered a guilty plea to a reduced count of murder, eight counts of aggravated kidnapping, and one count of aggravated burglary. In exchange for his guilty pleas, prosecutors agreed to drop capital murder charge, which eliminated the possibility of the death penalty. Mm. Um, Okay. March 26th, so just like 10 days later, Mm -hmm. um, he was sentenced, or it was his sentencing hearing where hostages um, and victims asked Judge Timothy Hansen to impose a life sentence without the possibility of parole. And then members of Richard's family then described him as a loving and kind man, a leader of the LDS church and Boy Scout, and asked for mercy. Yuck. Yeah, that doesn't make you a good person. Sorry. No. And um, why defend him? <clears throat> he killed a nurse and took babies And traumatized hostage. so many people. And a woman had to give birth on the floor because he was losing his mind. Yeah, and they thought that a bomb was strapped to the door handle. Meanwhile, let's right. not forget. Yeah, and he literally had a legit bomb wired up. It was ready to go. Oh, but he was so loving and a good member of the church, April. Don't you remember? <sighs> oh, okay. So Mm -hmm. Judge Hansen described the hospital as a sanctuary and said, quote, unfortunately, Mr. Worthington invaded that sanctuary and made it a place of terror. That's inexcusable. Mm -hmm. Um, He then sentenced Richard Worthington to 35 years to life in prison. During Richard's statement to the court, he said, quote, 35 years. That's my life. I literally... Lee, hour upon hour, day upon day, sat in my cell and cried for Carla Roth. Do you believe in repentance and forgiveness? What do I need to do to you to make you understand that repentance doesn't make or doesn't take a lifetime sometimes? This guy, the freaking nerve. Right? Why Where do you I get off? <clears throat> Ooh. I know it made my blood boil when I read that. I was like, "Are you even kidding me?" It's my life. Where's Carla's life? Yeah, she was thirty-five or thirty-seven or something. Sorry, yeah. but that's and all the lives you traumatized and it's the consequences of you freaking murdering somebody. Like, what <gasps> did you think was going to happen? Why is he surprised? Yeah, he almost. Blew up a freaking hospital. The Salt Lake County Deputy Attorney attorney was wanting him to go away for life. Prosecutors would at this time ask for 30 to 50 years minimum for the kidnappings and a life sentence for the murder, which would mean he wouldn't be able to be considered for parole for 30 years. That's what they're asking for, right? So they didn't get it. They got Mm -hmm. 35 years to life, but they tried um, Richard was causing issues at the Salt Lake County, Salt Lake County jail, right? He's given all the people attitude because he's better than them, even though that's self-righteous attitude just really makes my blood boil. <laughs> I 
like I'm not a criminal. <laughs> so like imagine being a criminal and hearing that. <laughs> You're like this twerp from another criminal. <laughs> He's like, I'm better than you. I don't belong here in jail. I only killed somebody, but it doesn't count because I yeah. repented. Right. <laughs> I've forgiven myself for this. Why haven't you? <laughs> yeah. So when I've forgiven myself, you then have to forgive me also. Right. <laughs> so he had to be transferred to the New Mexico system. Because he was causing problems in Salt Lake County Jail. So okay. he had to be moved around to all four of New Mexico facilities because of continuous suicide attempts and escape attempts. He he was about to be transferred to another place and he fell from the top of a fence trying to escape and broke both of his legs. <laughs> his attorney, Paul Gote. I believe his name is, was preparing to make an argument before the Utah Court of Appeals um, because he didn't believe he was competent to stand trial at the time. They mm-hmm. were able to determine that he had bipolar disorder, which, I mean, we can see from his mood swings throughout the yeah. whole entire ordeal that he had something. He had mental right. issues. Like, I mean, yeah. it's not, I don't know. Yeah. Anyways, he had problems. But so that he was like, it's not surprising to me that he continues to attempt suicide because yeah. of his swings. really drastic swings, right? So right. he was transferred finally to Nevada on October 26, 1993. He had only been at the Eli State Prison since m- that Monday. Um, he apparently tied shoestrings to holes in a speaker in his cell. Um, so like, you know, the speaker head and he yeah. strings around the base of the speaker head. And then he tore his bed sheet and attached it to the shoestrings. And investigators believe he tied the sheet around his neck, jumped off the toilet in his cell, and successfully killed himself. Wow. Yeah. 1993, he was only in the prison system for two years. Jeez Louise. Okay. So we're almost done. Kind of. Um. I feel, like I gotta, I feel like I forget to breathe. I know. <laughs> you know. I know. I'm like trying to get through it because it's been like almost two hours now. Yeah. Okay. So Dr. Curtis continued his practice <clears throat> and believes his experience made him a better doctor to his patients. Margie continued working as a nurse at Altaview for many years after the event. The SWAT officer that entered Cindy's room mm-hmm. actually recognized her. They went to high school together. And a few years after the event happened, they saw each other at a car wash and he was like, hey, and they hugged and they're like, oh my gosh, it's been so long. He's like, out of you. And she's like, what? He's like, I was a SWAT officer that was in your room. And she's like, are you serious? And so like, they just had a connection. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? So David Roth, after his civil suit, He Mm -hmm. moved to Washington State, never remarried, moved to Washington with his four kids. Casey, Carla's daughter, said she regrets not waking up that morning when her mom was leaving for work to tell her goodbye. She never Mm. thought her mom wouldn't have come home from work that night. Instead, of course not. Yeah. Two officers came to their door and she didn't believe what they heard. She really hoped that the officers just ID'd 
her mom incorrectly um and that she wasn't the one who had been killed she said quote never take for granted an opportunity to say goodbye to your loved ones send them off with a big old hug and kiss and tell them you love them because you never know what's going to happen that's so sad so christmas time tell your family you love them but there's more there's more do you remember on november 20th we got a text from josh our brother that was the day we had the pumpkin taste off i know you weren't there but we did get a text and he was like Harriman's on lockdown shots fired in the neighborhood right yeah 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 well that event was an army veteran in that Mm -hmm. Harriman neighborhood his name was alma worthington he had four children he was divorced and he was the son of richard and karen worthington really yeah he was just seven years old when his father took hostages at the altabu hospital and nine years old when his father passed away wow (laughs) i mean you sometimes in these stories you kind of forget to think about the the criminals family Mm -hmm. not just their wives not just their parents but their kids you know i don't know young a lasting effect on him personally because he was so young i mean just to grow up fatherless and to have like that story tied to you and your family like that's got a that's got a mess with you somehow yeah but wow that's so sad a little bit about elma um in the standoff situation he so he was an army veteran right Alma was suicidal and threatening his own life. His fellow guard members were there and trying to convince him to choose a different path to do mm-hmm. like, come on, you don't need to do this. Right. Yeah. As his neighbors were being evacuated from the intense situation, Alma fired shots from his home. And so that forced officers to shoot back at the veteran. Mm-hmm. According to his, and of course he, he passed away um, under um, by an officer shot. Right. Um, according to his obituary, Alma served in the Utah Army National Guard since 2008. He served as a medic for his military unit and served with the 85th National Guard 115th Maintenance Company. <laughs> Sorry, there's mm-hmm. some words to that. Um, <laughs> Alma was deployed to Afghanistan from January. 2012 to January 2013 so whole year got it when he returned home he studied at U of U for 11 months and became a paramedic for Gold Cross Ambulance he eventually was admitted to the UVU physician assistant program wow and so he's you know going in this to be a doctor yeah um or Or to be a PA at least yeah yeah his family described him as having a gift of making other others feel seen and loved. His presence would lighten up a room, often lacking a filter, <laughs> a volume <laughs> button, or both. His spirited personality provided the perfect opportunity for others to come together while enjoying a loud, usually inappropriate, and engaging conversation. Which I'm like, that is such a beautiful description of somebody. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah. Um, the family 
In his obituary, it said the family would like to express our sincere thanks and appreciation for the thoughts, prayers, and support we have received during these events. We are grateful for the safety of the law enforcement officers and for their dedication to protecting the community. We would also like to thank the National Guard members and others who attempted to redirect Alma last Sunday night. We hope that despite our tragic loss, a greater emphasis can be made to support those who struggle with mental health. It's, it breaks my heart because like the military members that mm-hmm. fight for our freedoms and, you know, like they don't always get the emotional, mental, like support that they need when they get home. Mm-hmm. And so like, I don't know if that was the cause or if there was something else going on in his life, but it just, it's, it's not uncommon that the military members when they come home that they struggle with suicidal thoughts or uh, PTSD or you know any any of the above really Um, but I want to say really quick if you know of a veteran who's struggling treat them with patience and compassion and don't forget about them after they come home exactly there are resources to help them through either local VA programs, or sometimes there are, there are private companies that do projects and programs for veterans. So you can call the Veterans Crisis Line at 1-800-273-8255, and then press 1, or text 838-255 to contact a VA responder. You can also donate money to the VA hospital to help support our struggling military officers. Um, But really quick, I did actually drive past a little building on Main Street in American Fork, Mm -hmm. and it had a cool logo, and it said Forge Forward Project. And me and Josh were like, what the hell is that? So I looked it up, and I was like, how perfect is this? Because it's a veteran-owned and operated nonprofit dedicated to ending veteran suicide through the use of virtual reality technology. What? Yeah, this is their mission statement. It's really cool. It says, we believe in forging powerful support communities in order to transform military veterans into something unbreakable. We hone every individual through innovative wilderness therapy, cutting edge virtual reality technology, and peer-to-peer community building. For those who have sacrificed to secure our rights to live or to life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness, we provide counseling, rehabilitation, and a path to forge forward. That's so cool. Isn't that amazing? And we'll put like a post or something on our story after this airs, but um, if you're interested or know someone who might be interested, it's called, or you can go to forgeforwardproject.org and their HQ is an American fork. So anyway that's that's pretty cool great research man thanks like i know you're probably just exhausted (laughs) learning out information but Uh, i am so sweaty because i'm like it was such an intense story and i was like this is gonna take forever (laughs) so i was like buckle (laughs) up but yeah Yeah, good one that was nuts and i've never heard of that i mean like never heard of it either yeah and so yeah, when Whitney called me, she's like, did you know? And I'm like, 
How would I have known that? That's freaking nuts. And you know, that story probably resurfaced because of the incident in Harriman. Yeah. So an article I found, the, I think it was KSL. They made the connection on one of their like news Mm -hmm. broadcasts. They're like, Hey, this guy is actually the son of this guy. And that's how Whitney found out. Yeah. I was like, Whoa. And her dad is, um, in the military and, I don't know if he served with him, but he did go to his funeral to support. Oh, really? Yeah. So I don't know. I think it's pretty special how cool the, like how strong that like connection is between those in the military that they just that like community. Yeah. It's like, I think they, I think that's something people really need and not everyone finds that, you know, but right. You, I mean, I think having their like community like that probably helps quite a few of them stay out of those thoughts and stay out of, you know, or at least helps them manage. But Mm -hmm. anyway, that's my story. Wow. Great job. Thanks. That was really good. I'm sorry. That's that's one that I'm going to be thinking about for a while. I know. I'm like so excited for people to listen to it. And like, I hope they don't think I was insensitive in any way. Mm-mm. but anyways no, it's really good and it's crazy that we were born there just I years know. after 93 like 94 that yeah I wonder That's if crazy. mom knew that I don't know we should ask her yeah we should ask her and then if she's should we like, should we call I, her real quick you're like I have no idea it's 10 she's probably freaking dead asleep. oh yeah it's 10 yeah She's snoring. That'd be fun to have like a phone in. Yeah. <laughs> we should have thought about that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, it's okay. Are you ready for my story? Yeah, I'm, I'm ready to okay. like stop sweating. <laughs> to stop talking. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm ready to stop talking. Okay. <clears throat> well, you, <laughs> you definitely brought the stories today because <laughs> <laughs> Mine's not going to nearly be as long, so it's just one of those episodes again. But we're talking about the Rio Grande Depot. Rio Grande Depot. I don't even know where that is. It's on 300 South Rio Grande Street in Salt Lake City, Utah. Okay. And it's an old former train station that's located on the western side of downtown Salt Lake City. And it's considered one of Salt Lake City's most iconic buildings. You know the Rio Grande building? Rio Grande. Mm. Is that over by the gateway? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. what we're talking about. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so it's, I see the yellow lights in my mind. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yellow and it's like outlined in red. Yeah. Okay. Cool. We're on the um, same page. Okay. It's known as the Denver and Rio Grande Western Depot, but also known as the Rio Grande Depot, also known as the Rio Grande Station, also known as the Rio Grande Depot Museum. (laughs) Also known as the Rio Grande Bus, the Rio Grande (laughs) Building. Rio Grande Cafe, Rio Grande (laughs) Sidewalk. (laughs) okay anyway (laughs) cool it's a station and a museum yeah you got that uh so let's go back in time and talk about its history 
just to get an idea of what the hell. Okay. So <clears throat> between 1900 and 1910, Salt Lake City had a population boom and it went from near it went from about 53,000 people to over 92,000 people. So it nearly doubled. Okay. And at this time, uh, there was a fierce competition in the rail- railroad industry and the competition was really to see who could build the biggest, the best, and most impressive train station. And who could, pro- like, whose station could have the best services provided. Because, okay. you know, people back then, they were traveling usually long distances. Yeah. So, like, if they had a cafe, awesome. If they had a bank, great. If they had whatever, you know. I've laundry always wanted service. to go on a trip by train. Yeah, I think that it'd be, be fun. so freaking cool. You can do that, that to so California, cool. I think. From here? Yeah. How? I don't know. What, Josh what has talked train? About, Josh's grandma has talked about doing it, but I don't know what train. I just know it's it goes bullshit. like north. <laughs> oh, like through like Washington. Reno? And- oh, Washington. Oh, goes north? I'm huh. going to tell you. I don't know what train she's okay. talking about. Maybe there isn't a train. And she's just like, I'm going to go on the train. <laughs> okay, gonna, Grandma. <laughs> I'm going to take the train. Okay. <laughs> anyway, so. <laughs> uh, yeah, so around this time, there was competition for who could have the best station, right? Okay. In 1906, a business called DNRG Tycoons decided that they wanted to take on that challenge here in Salt Lake City. So <clears throat> that's when the plans for the Denver and Rio Grande Depot was born. Okay. So the Rio Grande Station was built in 1910, and the building was, was designed by Henry Schlack who was a Chicago architect and was known mainly for designing churches. Mm. So just imagine a train station with a churchy vibe. Okay. <laughs> it oh. cost... <laughs> Got a it. church train station. <laughs> Got it. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, it cost $750,000 to build, which is equivalent to about $2 million today. Whoa. Yeah. It's like a temple train station. Right? Although I bet temples are more than that. You think? Probably. I, I bet mean, just the bricks are two million. Like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, they, they like lace these... that in gold. Jeez. You have the gold they have the money at the top. Seriously. Right. All right. So two million million dollars. Yeah. Equivalent to two million dollars today for this train station. Okay. So the station had passengers. <coughs> Sorry. Are you done? Yes, I think so. Okay. Cool. The station had passengers coming and going until the last train ran through the Rio Grande on May 29th of 1979. Okay. Because of the boom in car travel, there was really no longer a need for people to take a train from like Utah to Missouri. I mean, I would. I would now. Yeah, but like back then, people were like, "That's so 1920s." <laughs> <laughs> like, get with it. <laughs> you don't have your own buggy. Yeah, Are you crazy. 
So there wasn't just there wasn't enough business for it to stay open. Okay. Okay. Yeah. By May 29th of 1979, it was like kaput. Yeah. Uh, the Rio Grande Depot has been mentioned in countless stories over the decades, though. Stories of soldiers leaving for war and immigrants arriving to start a new life, families mm. going on vacations, business trips, etc. Did it compete with the Ogden train station? Yes. Or was it oh, okay. did? I think later? I put that in my notes somewhere, but I don't see it. So, yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I'll tell you that now. <laughs> I have great questions. Yeah, good question, okay. April. Yeah. That was a great question. So relevant. <laughs> <laughs> um, it became an important part of history, and it's now listed on the National Register of Historic Places. Oh, cool. And it's the home to the Utah State Historical Society. And back when it was open to the public, they had the Rio Grande Cafe. Right now, there's the Rio Grande Plan which is a movement to bring back the station or to bring the station back to life by moving the railway system underground. And so, you know, the tracks track system that we have right now, Uh they want to put it underground. Make a subway. Yeah. So they're working on a needle subway. Well, there, it sounds like they're wanting it to be like for long distance travel. Like from, northern yeah. utah to st george or something yeah i assume I they were gonna or like that, here to denver or here to reno oh i didn't know it was gonna be a subway i didn't know they were gonna they were thinking of doing a. I don't know like if they a would make it a train yeah i don't know if they would make it a subway like all the way through but oh. at least like where the station's mm. at and like downtown area you know how it's so annoying when you're trying to turn left and there's a damn train coming and you can't turn left Yes, there's a freaking train to get out of my stupid neighborhood. Oh, yeah, that train. You know, yeah. you know the train problems. I know the train problems. It's so imagine us all the time. Imagine it being under the ground. Except that's that track is used for both the tracks station or tracks trains as mm-hmm. well as the freight freight trains. Hmm. So that one's sticking around. Maybe they can make a bridge for you guys to go over it. <laughs> Just out of my neighborhood. It's like yeah. really steep. <laughs> you should like show up at the next city council meeting and be like, I have an idea. <laughs> can we build a bridge over that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And they're like, what purpose would that? serve at all (laughs) (laughs) like what do you want to put it underground that's the other option or Or just build a bridge (laughs) or make the cars go underground so the so they dig a hole and the we go under the train tracks yeah like a dog going under a fence (laughs) (laughs) yes yeah great analogy yeah yeah okay well, I'll let them know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let, let me know how that goes. Okay, well, um, where <laughs> was I? I don't know. The, they were making. They want to do a subway. They want to. Oh yeah. Put it under the ground. So, people who have worked there over the years claim that there is some paranormal activity. I wouldn't. And doubt it's it. so. 
it's so common and it happens so often that they just expect it. And it's kind of like a warning to visitors being like, just so you know, it's haunted. (laughs) So the most common claim amongst the employees is that they say they've seen or felt the presence of the purple lady. The purple lady is an apparition commonly seen. (laughs) Yzma. Well, now I can't not see that. (laughs) The purple lady is an apparition commonly seen around the property. And she's described as wearing a deep violet colored dress. So no one knows the spirit's name. Or at least Mm. not their real name. So she's taken on the nickname of the purple lady. Okay. Rumor has it. That when she was alive, she was having an argument with her fiancé at the train station and threw her ring onto the tracks. She saw the train coming and realized that once the train runs over her ring, she won't get it back. Like, it's going to be damaged and gone forever. So she jumped in after it to retrieve it, and she was hit by the train. Mm -hmm. So the purple lady is often seen on the main level of the station and also seen outside the building as well. So even if you just visit the downtown area, just drive by, glance over because you might get a glimpse of the purple lady. In the windows? Just outside. Really? Mm-hmm. I always feel like it's strange if that ghosts would be outside of the building that they're haunting. I feel like more often yeah. they're inside. Inside, Yeah. Like, it's like they can't pass the threshold of the building. I see what you're saying. So, also, I mean, I'm just saying yeah, it's weird yeah, to me to think of yeah. this outside. But, I mean, you think of other stories where there's ghosts in, like, forests and, like... Like, out in the, out in the yard or whatever. Yeah, it just still yeah. seems strange to me. Yeah. Like, I wonder if, like, like, we always talk about, like, what's the meaning behind that, you know? But I just, mm-hmm. I do wonder like if there is ever a situation where a spirit couldn't go outside you know yeah, or has like, to stay outside yeah they can't, can't go, go in inside. or one can't yeah. go out <clears throat> yeah <clears throat> it's just we'll never know i mean never know just... but the purple lady she's seen inside and outside okay um i read a story about a cafe employee who went in early one morning to open the cafe And she saw a woman sitting at a table near one of the windows. And before she could ask her how she got in or tell her to get out, she she saw that the customer or the woman that was sitting there just smiled at her and then she disappeared. Mm -hmm. My gosh. Um, In the Rio Grande. I don't know why. Yeah. (laughs) Like, was it It, sinister or like, was it like genuine? Just by the what I read in this in what I read, it seemed like it was more pleasant. Like it oh, wasn't okay. creepy. It wasn't sinister. freaky. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but I do think it does depend. Like, like what did the rest of their face look like though? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Like were their eyes saying something that their smile wasn't? Right. That's when it's creepy <clears throat> as hell. Right. Oh. That gives <sighs> me nightmares. Like that the image of somebody smiling but not meaning it will keep me up at night. Honestly, same. Like, it's the sinister smiles that, like, freak me the hell out. Like, yeah. even in, in like, drama movies or, like, any, yeah. like, psychological thriller. I those... will not watch that new movie, <clears throat> Smile. 
I will I not. I haven't seen I it. I will have nightmares mm. for years. It's because it's like in in a way it's like okay someone's smiling at you but it's not genuine. Yeah. It's like can you trust anybody's face? Can you right. trust what they say? Can you trust being around anyone? Can't Short answer no. No. <laughs> everyone is everyone Long answer has, yes. <laughs> everyone has bad intentions. <laughs> Just kidding. Right. Okay. <laughs> so Freaking the real anyone Grand looks Depot. at me like that and I will run so fast. Okay. So maybe that'll be that. my next Halloween costume. Just the way I smile. No. <laughs> Could you no. do it though? Um Could you do that? I don't even know what to smiling, do right now. But I'd have to your... practice in the mirror. But could you live with yourself? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. You know what's the creepiest thing I've ever heard? I love how I keep interrupting you. Okay, yeah. No, you're good. But I just remember because so I'm like, I gotta practice in the mirror. Then I'm like, but I don't want to like stare at myself and smile for too long. Because I've heard that like if you are looking at yourself in the mirror and like focusing on your face for too long, you suddenly start to not recognize yourself. And it's because your brain starts to get bored of your face and then and it'll try to like make it look like it's not you. Like, yeah, same. <laughs> like I'm bored of my face, but that's freaking scary. Isn't, isn't that horrifying? That is I feel a like I avoid thing. ever since I heard that I avoid mirrors like for too long. I'm like I avoid mirrors for a completely different reason. <laughs> <laughs> there are days where I'm like, Mitch, I haven't seen myself in the mirror yet today. Do I look okay? And he'd be like, I mean, you don't have makeup on. Are you okay with that? I'd be like, I mean, is it smeared <laughs> or is it just not present? <laughs> anyway. No. Uh, mirrors, mirror and eyes, mirrors and I. I, me and mirrors aren't <laughs> mirror mirrors and mirrors and i <laughs> okay well we're getting delirious we got so tired it's 10 30 it's past bedtime. Uh, we're usually we try to be done by nine and we're an hour and a half fast it's because my story freaking was forever long and because we started late because of me so it's not just we can blame you that's fine <laughs> Okay. Hey, it was a joint effort. Teamwork. Teamwork on just sabotaging our <laughs> brains at this point. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Let's get a quality episode out of this. <laughs> okay. You might have to edit a lot, but that's okay. Hope you're All up right. for it. <clears throat> yeah. So the Rio Grande Depot inside, mm -hmm. there's a loft balcony type thing. Mm -hmm. And up there, there is claims of an apparition being seen of a man, and he's usually seen just standing up there looking down at people that are visiting. Okay. Some people wonder if he is the spirit of the fiancé of the purple lady. That'd be Some a other people think, I know, it's like, did he die there, though? Like, she died there. Why would... But then... I think I did read that they think that he's there looking for her and she's there looking for her ring. So it's like, hmm. Hmm. but some other people think that the spirit of the man standing up on the loft could be um, a, a station master because of the way that he's dressed. Apparently he's dressed kind of more fancy and like with the big like black coat cloak thing. I feel like that would make more sense to me. 
Yeah, that's what I think too. Hmm. But so there's who knows? Who knows? Uh, The bathrooms are one of the most active places in the Rio Grande. Some visitors claim to see an apparition of a dark-haired female in the ladies' room. Some people only are able to describe her hair color. The grudge. Yeah, that's exactly what I thought. Um, But some people also say that it's the purple lady. So I don't know if people say like, oh yeah, she's wearing purple and her hair was dark brown. Or if they saw one or the other or what. So, Hmm. Um, Let's see. Faucets have turned on by themselves and stall doors will slam shut when no one is around. Yuck. Which like when you're so when you're in a vulnerable place (laughs) doing a vulnerable thing (laughs) and you know you're alone. Yes. And then all of a sudden that happens like. Oh, what do you do? You pinch it off and you run. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Pants at your ankles. Who cares? Right. Book it. Right. <laughs> Could you imagine if, like, you just didn't hear the other person? And you're like, oh my gosh, I thought it was alone. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and all of a sudden, you see someone like <laughs> bolted out without even flushing. <laughs> you're like, what do I do? Maybe that's <laughs> like when you go into a bathroom. And no one flushes the damn toilets. That's it's what happened. That's what I mean. They were spooked. <laughs> they were spooked and just <laughs> ran away. <Yeah. laughs> I'm glad that we finally solved one of life's great mysteries. <laughs> Seriously, I don't the know. Ghost how... boops. <laughs> yeah. All the people who leave their or the, uncla- <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the unclaimed poops. <laughs> <laughs> no. uh, okay. So <laughs> that's so funny. I read a story where someone was in one of these stalls doing their business where they heard someone frantically knock on their stall door. When the knocking stopped, one of the fa- faucets turned on by itself. And they they were alone for real. Yeah. Yeah. They were really alone. That's so that wouldn't that be so scary? I'd be um, scared to open the door. <laughs> Especially like a frantic knock, you know? Yeah. It's like, what? Like, what do you need? Yeah, what's the emergency that can't (laughs) wait until I'm done? Right. And who are you anyway? (laughs) You don't see any feet? Yeah. That'd be freaking scary. That would be really scary. Um, Some people say that they've had paranormal, paranormal experiences at the Rio Grande that weren't necessarily seeing an apparition. I read stories about security guards feeling like they are being watched or visitors walking into strange cold spots when they get into a room. Um, I read stories about the lights flickering on and off on their own, people feeling like they've been touched, and of course, objects being moved around on their own. Being moved around on their own. Okay. Paranormal investigators who have visited the Rio Grande have captured orbs in their pictures, as well as captured EVPs. And someone on the Utah Haunted History page said they even captured what looked like a silhouette of someone. So I'm going to send you a picture of evidence that someone has gotten, just so you can get a visual, okay? Okay. I think orbs are freaking scary. Okay. 
I need you to open your Facebook Messenger. <gasps> that is the most terrifying thing in the world. <laughs> oh my gosh. <coughs> that is so scary. That's a real freaking picture, dude. Homie dog. That is a picture of an investigator, or it's not of an investigator, but it's a picture that an investigator took while at the Rio Grande. And you can see it's a whole full-on silhouette, legless, black, no arms. That is huge. And covers the entire doorway. But I don't know if it's because like it's kind of close or if it really is like eight feet tall. I don't, know. I don't know, but it, that I would immediately pass away if I saw this. Could you imagine like being there, taking that picture and then looking at it and then looking up and being like, <laughs> you know, like realizing that that was oh. there. And that's not some, that's not an orb that you can pass off as being like a bug. That's a freaking no. person shape. <clears throat> yeah. Giant person and- shape. And it almost looks like it has a shadow or a reflection, you know? Yeah, it does. Is that weird, though? Do you, don't you think it wouldn't? I have no idea. I don't know about ghost shadows. <laughs> I don't either. Um, huh. But when, so this was posted by, um, says it in the top corner, Christy Lee. Mm-hmm. She was the investigator who mm-hmm. took the picture and posted it in the Utah Haunted History Facebook page. Um, And when she posted in the group, she wrote, quote, snapped some random photos at the Rio Grande on an investigation. The only edit I've made is my name at the top right corner. My friend who went with me was sitting on the bench to the left. End quote. Wow. That's that's authentic. That's Um, terrifying. So... I somehow skipped it in my notes, or maybe I put it in the wrong place. I do that Hold often. <laughs> yeah, because like sometimes I'm like copying and pasting, like or like to put things in different orders, and then I mm-hmm. realize I've like forgotten to actually paste it. Then I'm like, wait, that information's not there anymore. Okay, well, I deleted it for some strange reason. I must have like copied it and then forgot to paste it, like I said. Yeah. But um I forgot to mention in the very beginning of the story is that so the last train rolled through on in 1979 right Mm -hmm. the building remained open for like like offices that cafe was still open um they held like events and exhibits things like that I was gonna say didn't they do a dance for like in high school there the bingham ball I thought they did the Bingham Ball there once. I know that we did it when I went. It was at the state capitol. But they could have done that. Wasn't that prom? I don't. Maybe. (laughs) I don't remember. Or maybe I'm thinking of the masquerade ball. That was a Bingham Ball. Yeah. And that's when we went with just girls. That's right. I guess we have been there and I probably just at the time didn't realize it. I'm pretty yeah. sure that's where it was. We'll was... see if we can find the pictures. Okay. I have a vague memory of the inside, but I just remember it being just a big, like, open room. I only remember the pictures from Arctic Circle afterwards. 
I don't remember if we took pictures. I know there's yeah. a picture of you and Heather okay. at the masquerade. We'll look. Yeah, we'll look and we'll post it on our Patreon. Or maybe Instagram. Maybe both. We'll see. Okay. Uh, what was I talking about? <laughs> uh, they held events there. <clears throat> oh, yeah. So, I was going to mention this at the beginning of the story. Is that it has been closed to the public since 2020, um, since March of 2020, because of the 5.7 magnitude earthquake that we had. I guess it did damage the building and oh. they had to shut it down to the public. So it's still, <clears throat> excuse me, it's still open as an office for the Utah Historical Society, but it's closed as far as like holding events and exhibits and things like that. Oh my gosh. That also, earthquake. Before the earthquake happened, the entire basement was sealed off for public like, to the public and to most employees. Like it was pretty much on lockdown because they were holding historic artifacts down there. Uh-huh. Um, like they had like I had a whole list of stuff. There was like baby carriages and like old like furniture and old clothing that was that had been like preserved you know perfectly mm-hmm. so like all these items were kept in that basement but since the earthquake they had to move it so mm. i don't know exactly where it's at right now but i did read that there is funding or there has been funding approved so that the state can have uh, or can build a museum to then put all these things on display Okay. So right now they're just being held somewhere just for safekeeping, but they're working on getting a museum ready to put that all up. So now that I've said all that stuff, um, the basement is now empty. And sorry, let me scroll down. Uh, Now that the basement is empty, some paranormal investigators have been allowed to go down there to see if they can capture anything. And on the Utah Haunted History Facebook page, a commenter named Julie S. said that she was down there one time. And when she went down there, all the all of the doors to all of the closets, closets and side rooms were all locked. Um, the only door that was unlocked was the bathroom that's down there, which she said the bathroom had a shower in it, which there were claims that the shower would turn on and off by itself. Okay. Um, sorry, oh, Philly. this scared me. So did you hear that? Yes. <laughs> Philly sneezed. I was <laughs> like, what the fuck? Going on? Um, okay. So they were down there doing their investigation, right? <clears throat> and one of the doors unlocked by itself. Oh, <coughs> <laughs> <laughs> I went to gasp and I choked. <laughs> if that happened to you, would you dare go inside or would you no. just be like, okay. I feel like now is my time to go. <laughs> yeah. It's like it, like whatever is down here with us wants us to do something like there's like an invitation to go in there and like, you don't know what the intention is. Yeah. We talk exactly. about intention all the time, but like, it's right. just, you don't know. You just don't know. And if you go in, that's your, you're inviting whatever that intention is onto yourself. Like, like, yeah. Like you're like saying, okay, I'll do what you say. Like you yeah. are in charge here. Not me. Yeah. Yeah. Like you're giving it authority. Yeah. Cause you're doing what it says. 
Yeah, you have to wear the pants. <laughs> but anyway, so these investigators, they went inside this room and they walked in. They saw it was an empty closet, like a, like a large walk-in closet. And it had empty shelves lining the walls, right? Mm-hmm. They looked around and they realized that one of the shelves had a black cloth bag sitting, just sitting there. And they looked inside and they found human remains. No, they did not. They did. And what did they so, do? They ran upstairs to the security guards that was like, you know, babysitting them. And they said, this is just what happened. Like the door unlocked by, by itself. So we went in, sorry, <laughs> but we went in and we saw this bag with human remains. And the security guard looked at it and he's like, oh yeah. That's actually part of, you know, how they had artifacts. Uh-huh. Well, apparently it's it was something that got left behind somehow because I guess there was construction happening in somewhere in downtown Salt Lake and those remains had been dug up. And so they took them there because that's where they thought that artifacts and things were stored. So they were holding on to them so that the Okay, so the remains were identified to be Native American. Let me just say that. Okay. They were identified to be Native American, and so they're being held in that basement until they were claimed by whichever tribe they believed it belonged to. But they're just so, a bag? Yeah. A black cloth bag. Seems disrespectful. Yeah, like, why? why isn't there, like... Put it in a Ziploc, you know, or something. Well, like, like preserve ex- it somehow. I don't know. Yeah, but I would expect just it to let be, it... like, in a box, like, a locked box or something. Yeah. But it makes you wonder, too, if, like, a new hire was like, oh, yeah, we keep these in the basement. Someone's like, Here's no a bag God. of bones. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> I have no idea what happened, but that's, that's the story. Crazy. That would freak so. But that would freak me out. So do you think maybe yeah. it was like the spirit of that person? Maybe that being like, get me out of here. It yeah. said, excuse me. I'm sick of being in this closet. Yeah. This is not where I want to be. Right. Maybe. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised because why else would why else would that door unlock by itself? You know? Yeah. So the intention gave them was... a good story. Yeah. But also got their bag of bones out of there. Mm -hmm. Hopefully. Hopefully. I really don't know what ended up happening, but uh... (laughs) hopefully hopefully. they're laid to rest somewhere. Yeah, exactly. Um, But over time, the security guards have kept a book with people's different experiences written down in it. They've passed this book down over the years to either keep the mystery alive or to give reassurance to anyone who has experienced anything that they can't explain. The end. Do they have cameras? I don't think so. I Maybe feel like they, they do. should. They probably do. I don't know. But they're they're like, we're not using them for ghosts, you idiot. <laughs> we're using them for like break <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, exactly but i don't care i want you yeah. to look at the footage constantly Play it back every morning every morning and check it check for ghosts they would find so much i bet i bet they would 
I bet I bet a lot of places who have like security cameras, I bet they capture so much shit that they don't even know. And they're not even checking. So they're like, who would do that? What, what <laughs> insane person? So like, who has the time? <laughs> and like that random receptionist is like, I have time. Yeah, they're I like, can... I haven't done anything for like three years at this place. Just <laughs> yeah. I'll look at it. I'll look for ghosts. And then yeah. we can use it as marketing for people to on come our TikTok. Here. Yeah. yeah. I'm telling you, it's ghosts sell. <laughs> So they should have at all historic buildings, they should have ghost one person assigned to that job mm. is to, and I don't know what they'd be called, the... but they're assigned to check for evidence of ghosts, post about it on their social media and host ghost tours. Yep. April's what, got the business. What plan. is it? What is it called? Uh, concierge yeah i think it's a concierge it's a ghost a paranormal concierge Mm -hmm. i like it and i I think someone should hire us for that (laughs) yeah that'd be so fun and we'll just run your tiktok yeah so we'll have we'll every morning we'll get the footage for overnight when you Mm -hmm. close to when you open or a live stream and we'll review it yeah yeah Okay. Hit us up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we are accepting applications for employment. <laughs> We're accepting offers. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, thanks everybody for listening to episode 34. Yeah, it was a long one. Hope you stuck around. Yep. This one comes out on December 11th. Yep. And then the next one on Christmas. Christmas. My story for the next one is going to be just wild. I don't know what wild. my next one is yet because I was like, it's Christmas. So I've been panicking about like not doing a really bad one. Oh, mine is going to like blow your socks off. I think. I think you're going to be like, that happened and I can't it's wait. haunted. And I'm going to be like, girl, yes. Dang, I can't wait. Mm-hmm. Dang. Dang. I can't (laughs) wait. (laughs) Okay, so follow us on social media at Haunt and Cold Podcast. Visit our website, hauntedcold.com, to submit your own personal paranormal or true crime stories and purchase merch for the holidays. Um, January on Deck at Desk is coming out on January 1st on Patreon. Happy New Year's. So happy New Year's. Yeah. Um, remember each month we release these awesome bonus episodes, uh, whether it be paranormal or true crime, we call it on deck, on deck at desk. Um, also, if you sign up for Patreon, you get to see our video episodes so you can see us talking right now. If you're a Patreon member. Um, also, I want to say happy Hanukkah to our Jewish listeners, if there's yes. any out there. Um, it yes. goes from, it starts on the 18th and goes to the 26th. So sweet happy hanukkah happy hanukkah to you all right okay okay bye okay bye